We're uh, doing some talks over the next couple of months on kind of subjects, things from the things that come from the Bible, which are really important, which are sometimes not talked about. And I think uh, today, as I start this message, I reckon this is actually one of the most important subjects for our Christian lives that there is. And it's something that we very rarely talk about. And it's friendship. Really big subject. I think that the friendship is at the heart of all true relationships. When I say true relationships, I mean ones that are worth worth anything. You, you understand what I'm saying? There's lots of weak relationships out there, but I'm talking about things that count. And I want to start by talking about the fact that friendship is actually throughout the Bible, and particularly it's talked about as a relationship with God. Now, we'll talk about this more as we go, but this will make more sense, hopefully. But I want to talk about this time. Remember, the people of God were in the desert, and they're all camped there. There's about a million of them camped, so it's more than your average camping trip. And... Um, Moses is leading the people, and it says, this is Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, and he called it the tent of meeting. So on the edge of the, where everybody's camped, he puts a special tent. It's the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to know something from the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to that camp, all the people rose, and they stood at the entrances to their tents, and they watched him as he entered the tent. When Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. So there was this like incredible, like a whirlwind that would sit above the tent while Moses was in there talking to God. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That, sorry, that was verse uh, 10, if you're following along. The Lord would speak to Moses. So God would actually be talking to Moses as you would speak to a friend. And you, get, you, you know when you speak to a friend, you have a relaxed conversation, aren't you? You're, you're just talking. You're just relating to each other. That's a really deep way of talking about a relationship with God, isn't it? Deep as in, it's not the way we normally think of it. Because if we think about prayer, prayer is talking to God, we're often talking about maybe people hold their hands like this or maybe they read out something that's written or something like that. But we're talking about just relating to God like you talk to a friend. I want to just grab another passage about Abraham, and that's from James James chapter 2, verse 23. He says this. And the scripture was fulfilled and it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he believed what God said. God made a promise and Abraham believed that promise would come true. And God says, well, you're righteous now. You're perfect. And he was called God's friend. So a person who believes God or trusts God is called God's friend. Okay, so what I'm saying is that friendship actually comes first. Friendship is of most importance, even with God and with other people. 
All relationships should be that of friendship. We'll talk about that with regard to different types of relationships in a minute. But I wanted to go particularly to an example, and there's an example in the Bible. There's a number of examples of friends, but there's one in particular which really stands out, and it's of David and Jonathan. I don't know if you know that story. Do you know that story? They were, uh, well, they weren't, I mean, I, I assume that they were sort of uh, fellas in their 20s, 30s, somewhere around that age, David and Jonathan. They were both married, I think, at this time. But they, they became just the closest of friends. They loved each other dearly. Um, and it's a, it's a, they, they lived in a... It was a, just a precious thing, their friendship. I don't know if you've ever had a really good friendship with somebody. Hopefully, if you're married, you've got a really good friendship with somebody. Yeah. Um, but that, that one where you can just share your heart and you feel that real closeness. And, um, but there was a bit of a problem in the relationship, and it was like this. Saul was a man who was king of Israel, but Saul didn't do what God said. And so God said, I'm going to replace you, and I'm going to replace you with David. But Saul had a son who was Jonathan. So Saul's replacement is going to be David, who's best friend with Saul's son, Jonathan. Does that make sense to you? Okay. And Saul was very, very jealous of David. David killed Goliath, the giant. David had won wars for Israel, and and rather than crediting him, uh, Saul just got jealous. In fact, so jealous that he wanted to kill David. Uh, he he was he was that jealous. And Jonathan convinced Saul in chapter nineteen not to kill David. He said, "David's working for your glory. Don't don't kill him." You know, he was his friend. But uh, Saul had an evil spirit, and that evil spirit stirred him up, and he tried to kill David. And then David went and told Jonathan, "This, you know, your dad wants to kill me." And he didn't believe it at first because he said, "No, my dad tells me everything." Um, but that wasn't the truth, actually. Well, yeah, yeah. Saul was holding it back from him. Anyway, they made a plan to find out if Saul's intention was really to kill him, and it turns out it was. Uh, Jonathan believed it. And, um, and I'm reading from 1 Samuel 20, verse 16. It says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, that's with all of David's family. May the Lord call David's enemies to account. Now, when he says, May the Lord call David's enemies to account, what he's saying is, I'm taking your side over your enemy who's my dad. That's a big thing, isn't it? I am going to be loyal to you as a friend above my own father. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. They loved each other dearly as friends. They had this deep love above all else. Okay. Now, then uh, I'll just finished telling the story. Jonathan defended David and uh, before Saul and it was found out that yes, he did want to kill him. And then, so well, that caused a big problem in their friendship and uh, eventually they had to go separate ways. And they had this parting 
uh, in chapter 20 uh, towards verse 41. And they, they weep together. Uh, it says they kissed each other, which doesn't necessarily... You don't have to think of homosexual love here because uh, a kiss in those days was like, like we would say a man hug. So uh, it's not the same thing. Um, and, and they wept. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is a witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then they went their separate ways. They made what was called a covenant. We're told in chapter 23, verse 18, they made a covenant. They made promises to each other. It doesn't end good, this story, unfortunately. Saul and Jonathan ended up dead in battle. David does end up being king. And David kept his promise to uh, um, Jonathan's descendants. He had a disabled son, I think, called Mephibosheth. And he stayed faithful to him and looked after him. He brought him into his own home, which was the palace, and, and, and kept him there. But what, what you see here is the qualities of a deep friendship. And I want to name seven of them. That's right. That was a joke. Okay. Number one, they had a friendship which was, which was covenant. And covenant means this. It's based on promises. You make promises to each other. And by the way, you stick to those promises. It's not just a loose... You see, we live in a world where you become friends if we've got something in common, and if we don't have something in common, well, you're not my friend anymore. It's just hollow. It's empty, you know what I mean? But there's no stickability, if that's a word, between friends. There's no loyalty. But this is a covenant loyalty based on promises. Actually, even even in my day when I was a kid, Boys at school used to make, remember they become blood brothers? Did you ever do that? Then they'd actually cut their hand each and shake hands. Swap a bit of blood, a bit of pain, and become blood brothers. Do you, no, this must be a South Australian thing. Okay. Right. Was that, do you remember that? No. All right. it's, just, it's just where I came from that they did that sort of thing. We were a rougher type back then. Um, but there was a, a covenant promise, I will be your friend. And as proof of it, there's a bit of pain and there's a bit of blood swapped places. I'm not telling you to do this. But this, in friendship, it is saying there's a deeper connection and relationship and promise here than just the hollowness of this world. Second, that's point one, covenant. Point two, a loyalty, where you actually stay loyal to somebody. You stick with them. You stay with them. In other words, there's a faithfulness. And that's almost, it's saying, above other people. In Saul and David, sorry, David and Jonathan's case, above Saul, above your own father. There's, that's point two, loyalty or faithfulness. Point three is a delight in each other's company. They loved hanging out. They really enjoyed each other's company. Now, I just want to say this. Who wouldn't want friendships like this? We desire them so much, don't we? Point four is sacrifice. They had to give up something. Now, Jonathan, if Saul was the king and Jonathan was Saul's son, he's going to be the king. So in letting David be king, Jonathan was giving up his own place as king. That's a huge... All he had to do was sneak off with David... Knife him in the back and he was king. 
That's all he had to do. So the sacrifice that Jonathan gave was to give himself, give up his own future for the sake of David. Because Jonathan knew that it was God's plan. So there's a sacrifice. All good friendships, you've got to give something up. It's got to be that way, doesn't it? Otherwise, it's not true friendship. Point five, there's a trust, but that trust is based on a promise. Yep. Um, it, a, a faith in a person that they won't let you down. Knowing that, in one sense, everybody lets us down, don't we? Because we're all sinners. Yeah, we all do things wrong. We all hurt each other. But it's saying, no, I'm going to go above that and I'm going to trust and we're going to maintain a relationship beyond the small things where we let each other down and we, it's going to continue. So there's a trust. There's an honesty. Honest counsel. They, they actually speak to each other honestly. And, and lastly, quite simply, there's love. Now, love is not just a feeling. It's not just, you know, as I always talk, tell you about, it's not what Taylor Swift talks about. That's not love. That's the way you feel, oh, I feel all this warmth towards each other. Yeah? Love is actually when you give up, it's an action of the will towards another person. It's something solid. It's something worth something. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? What's the point of saying, I love you, if it's not backed up with reality? That's not love, is it? You understand? Because Taylor Swift falls in love and then she falls out of love. And then she leaves the bloke. And then she gets a new one. But she's got to write a song about the first one before she leaves him. So that's how it goes. No, this is talking about a love which is other person-centred, which is not about me. So it's actually a love which is an action of the will. So these things, which is covenant, loyalty, faithfulness, delight, sacrifice, Trust, honesty, love, those things. You could say they are, they are of greater value than almost anything else in this world. Mm. Wouldn't you say? Mm. And having friends like that is actually living in a true relationship. That's, that's what we were actually designed for. Because if Moses and Abraham were friends with God and that's what their relationship looked like, that's what we're made for. Because how do we know what we like? What God's like is what we like. We are actually made to have friendship. And I, I could honestly say, you would have a desire in your heart, as I describe a friendship like this, you would be thinking, I desire friendships like that. I want it badly. Is that true? Yep. They are of great value. And they're at the heart, these things, this friendship is at the heart of all true relationships. If you're married and you don't have a friend in your wife or husband like this, you haven't got much of a marriage, have you? Um, If you have children, your relationship, now at first, you know, they're just little kids, but you actually teach them uh, to love. I don't know if you heard what I said there. You actually love them, but you teach them to love you back. Yep. And then you grow in love, and then as your kids get older, they become your friends. In fact, if you're not preparing them to be your friends, then you're maintaining this relationship where you want to be their parents forever, then you kind of, uh, there's all this codependency they talk about, and, and, and the kids end up all warped. 
because they're supposed to be taught to be adults, to stand on their own, to make their own decisions, and then to be friends with the parents. <coughs> so you actually teach your children to be friends with one another. And no offence to teachers, but that's actually more important than other parts of the curriculum of your school, is to be friends with one another, to live in proper relationships with each other. And um, it's not natural. Natural is for kids to be selfish and to beat each other over the head with stuff. That's natural, yeah, because we have a sinful nature. So we actually have to, you, do, you don't have to teach a child to be violent, they're naturally violent. You've got to teach them to be not violent. You don't have to teach a child to say nasty stuff to each other. They do that naturally. You've got to teach them not to. That's because we have a sin nature, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, which is in us and you can't change it. We are naturally violent and nasty. We, we, that's us. We've actually got to be trained out of that, not into that. Okay? And I, I, I said, you, never, you never teach a child, a, a, a two-year-old, to throw a tantrum. No parent has ever got down on the ground and said, now, when you don't get your way, what you do is you lay on your back, you kick your legs and you scream. And every single child knows how to do it. They are natural. There's a sinful nature in all of us and it's just there. Right? You've got to teach them not to do that. You understand? So we teach children to be friends. Also, if your relationships with work... Good to meet you, Cody. Cody works for Levi, I understand, right? Now, I'm just going to say this to Levi. If your relationship with Cody is one where you're overbearing and you're not a friend but you're a lord to him, your relationship's basically worthless. Oh, yeah, you'll get some productivity out of him, but what's that point of that? Do you understand? Even our work relationships, our friendship relationships, or they're actually nothing of any value. That makes sense? These relationships are at the heart of what it is to be human. If you are in no relationships like that with anybody, you are basically inhuman. Because that is what God is like. And if that's what God is like and we made in his image, that's what we're to be like. We're to be friends. So when it comes to sin, and I said I'd talk about this, in the beginning, God created man and woman in his image, which means to be related, to relate with him in, in friendship. And it says in uh, Genesis 3, 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of, this is just after they'd done what they shouldn't have done. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from him. They were used to God coming and walking with them in the evening. That beautiful thing where you go for a walk, you talk, you share. In God's case, he's probably teaching them about how to love and how to be human and stuff like that. That was their relationship with God, except for they'd rejected God, they'd gone the wrong way, and so they heard God coming in. Instead of running to his arms, they went and hid. They became ashamed. They became guilty. Okay, so first thing is, when you don't live like this in relationships, in friendships, you actually become ashamed, you become guilty. And um, it says they were, they were afraid and they hid from him. And then the man says, you know, that woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and made me eat it. And, they start, and, and then they started blaming each other. Yeah? The relationship's broken down. The friendship's 
uh, is is a mess. There's a, it, it, it seems like it's all broken. Now, when it comes to talking about sin, often when people talk about sin, they'll say, you broke this commandment. You broke this commandment. It's as if our whole relationship with God is about a big heap of laws. But can you see here, you've got people hiding, ashamed and guilty. It's not talking about you broke a law. It's talking about the rejection in a relationship. And that is the horror of sin. You understand, if you see, if you have a husband and wife and one is unfaithful, the other one doesn't say, oh, by the way, you broke this law. That's not how unfaithfulness works, is it? Unfaithfulness brings pain and heartache. It's a rejection of a person. It's the horror of breaking covenant as God designed it to be. And if you've ever had a friend who's rejected you and left you or deserted you above others, you would know the pain of that. And you wouldn't go, oh, they broke the second rule of friendship. It's like, when we sin against God, it's not us going, oh, I decided to break rule four. It is us attacking his character and rejecting the love he wants to walk with us in the call of the evening. And we're saying, we don't want to walk with you. We would rather hide and be away from you. That's what sin is. So in the Old Testament, if you read one of the most common descriptions of sin against God is adultery. That's what it says. When we sin against God, we commit adultery against him. We've been unfaithful and he's been our perfect husband. Okay. Can you get what I'm saying? We are built for relationships and our relationships are built to be perfect, wonderful covenant relationships. Unfortunately, if you'd be honest about yourself now, you'd say, I've failed lots of people in lots of relationships. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you about everybody who's hurt me, but I've hurt a few people along the way. I haven't been a good friend. Uh, I might have a desire in my marriage to live in covenant loyalty, faithfulness, delight, sacrifice, trust, honesty and love and some days I'm just grumpy and some days I say words that hurt. That's the reality. Yep. Because when we reject God's love and his relationship with us, the natural overflow is that we reject everybody else too. When we say we we don't want to be under you, God, we want to be on top of you, we want to rule over you, then we want to rule over everybody else and relationships as a whole become messed up. That's what sin does. But we were created for perfect perfect covenant relationship with God as his friend and with one another as friends. So, what did God do? How did he respond when we rejected him? Because if you've ever had, just say you had a friend who you rejected and you rejected and you hate and you spat on and you punched and you kicked, what do you expect them to do for you? Well, you'd expect them at very least to walk away. But if they were the God of the universe, you could expect judgment unto death, I would think, wouldn't you think? The God who created all. If God, I mean, we're in a beautiful place here today. If the God who created all this and created us and created us to live in perfection with him, and we've rejected him, 
uh, I would say uh, we deserve eternal punishment from him, wouldn't you say? Is that how God reacted to us? And the answer is no. He sent his son, and in John 15, we have this passage. We know it well. We hear it quite often. I want to read it to you. He says, it's John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus speaking, and what's he about to do? Lay down his life for his friends. Okay? You are my friends, he says, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you my friends. So he's saying this. I don't, I'm not, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy God, has a relationship with his disciples where he's saying, I, I don't just want you to be servants. And I'm going to show you what great love is. And Jesus then goes and he dies for them. And he died for us. He loved us. Right. He took the punishment and the judgment that we deserve because we had rejected God, we've abandoned God, we've gone against God, we've hated God. He took the punishment that we were due. He laid down his life for our place. To do what? To restore us to being friends of God. He took away a sin that we could actually know God. And the, you know what the people, they, they, they had a term for Jesus. They, they thought they were running him down. They thought they were having a go at Jesus. They, they, they thought they were insulting him. They said of Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. I tell you what, it's so good to know that we have a friend of sinners because I'm a sinner who deserves nothing from God except his judgment. And he, Jesus, was a friend to me. How much of a friend was he to me? Well, he was a loyal and a faithful and a loving friend. He was so loving towards me that he died for me. Now, you put yourself there because it wasn't just for me. He died for you. Yeah, you get that? He died to restore your friendship to God. That's how much of a friend he was. He made, he, he was a covenant friend to us. Isn't that awesome? Can, can you see how good that is? Covenant friend to us. And how much can we rely on him? I, I, I don't want to take too much of a tenure. I've been talking for ages, but that's okay. You're all patient. None of you are going to sleep yet. I can see that. We're good friends. That's good. You've, you've, you've been very, very True. generous to me. Um, and in Jeremiah chapter 33, I just want to, this is talking about God's covenant love for us. I think this is where it is. 33 verse 20. It says, um, this is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with day and my covenant with night so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are, who are priests ministering before me can be broken. Right, what he's saying is this. Did you notice the sun come up this morning? You probably didn't notice, actually. It, the reason you didn't notice is because it's so reliable. You can even get an app on your phone that'll tell you the minute it's going to happen. 
Every day it comes up again and again. And every night it goes back down again. Well, it doesn't really. The earth's spinning, but that's okay. God has put that in place. Well, he's saying, my covenant with you is more reliable than that. You, what's my covenant mean? He will never break his covenant with us through Jesus Christ. Do you know that? How much can you rely on his love? When, when, you, when you get married, we have this wedding ring, and you put on this wedding ring, and, 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 and the pastor or priest or wherever, or whatever the celebrant will say, this ring is a sign of the promises you've made today. Covenant promises. Well, God's given us a sign of his covenant promises to us. The sun comes up every morning. This golden circle shining in the sky and he says, you know what, every time you see that come up, just know this, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you and nothing can take you out of my love. That's my loyal friendship to you. Yep. To who? To sinners who don't deserve it. But his reaction to us is to love us as sure as the sun will come up. His covenant love can be relied upon. He is faithful forever to us. He won't abandon us. Jesus was abandoned by God on the cross so that we would never be abandoned by him. And not only this, do you know this? He delights in us. I think sometimes we think, I think God just tolerates me. I think sometimes God's just sick of me, actually. I think he's tired of me. He has to look at me. Because when you're inside yourself, you see all your faults more than anyone else. And some days, I tell you, to be honest, I get sick of myself. I think, wish I didn't do that. I wish I wasn't like this. And you think, if God had any sense, he'd get sick of me too. But he doesn't. God doesn't get sick of you. He, he's, those same words that he said to Jesus, you are my beloved, in you I delight, he says to us when we trust in Jesus. Hear that? Words that we long to hear from the one who's over us. He delights in us. And he gave the greatest of sacrifices. We can trust in him. That's where that verse from James said, uh, uh, James 2.23 again, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you want to know how to be a Christian and be perfectly righteous and perfect before God? Do you want to know, are you interested in that? Just say you, just say you wanted to live forever in, in heaven with God. Just say you wanted to be washed and cleaned and have all your guilt gone and all your shame gone. How would you receive that? And the answer is, he believed God. He trusted God through Jesus Christ. If you trust Jesus Christ, all of that is yours. There's no other no additions. It's not trust in Jesus and obey these laws. No, it's trust in Jesus and you are perfect before you obey a single law. Do you get that? Trust in Jesus and you are his and nothing will take you out of his hands. Is that awesome? Because let's face it, even as Christians, we stuff up all the time, don't we? When it comes to the law... But you trust in Jesus, you're perfect already before you do anything else. Because the righteous will walk by faith. In other words, by trusting in God. 
by trusting in Jesus Christ, that's how we walk in righteousness. Okay. He delights in us. And there's this really cool thing. Do you know God is incredibly honest with us? He doesn't butter us up. Do you, know, you understand what I'm saying there? He's, because, you see, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, you, you know, a, a, a weak friend, a weak friend will say, you know, you, nah, don't worry, what you're doing is fine, Michael. I, it's fine. And, and you, no, that's not good for Michael to be doing that. The Holy Spirit doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and says, you shouldn't do that. There's stuff that you're doing in your life you shouldn't do. He loves us so much that he actually convicts us. He's honest with us. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Last thing we want is people, when we do something wrong, which is inappropriate, and everyone says, oh, we all do that. It's like, no, that's wrong. Do you understand? And God tells us that for our good. But he also tells us that he's forgiven us through Christ Jesus already. That's an incredible love. He's honest with us, and he loves us with an everlasting love. That's not just words, but actions. And then... He gives us his Holy Spirit. That is God himself living with us, living in us. He loves us so much, he wants to be with us. It's not just that he gives us the Holy Spirit as a, as a law guide. He gives us the Holy Spirit because he loves us and he wants us to be filled with his love. This is, I, I tell you, why, that's why I said at the start, I think this is one of the most important messages, friendship. That we could have. We have friendship with God through Jesus Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Our closest friend lives in us because he loves us so much that that's what he wants. And then he gives us the ability to have friendships with each other in the same way. The Holy Spirit empowers us and drives us to have people we can love and serve and be with. And chiefly, as Jesus describes it, that will be within the church. Where, we, where the community of covenant love shares with each other and enjoys each other and encourages each other and blesses each other by telling each other what's happened for us in Christ. That's the church. Believers together, being bound together by the Holy Spirit. Moses went off to meet with God in the desert, in a tent. Jesus is actually described as the tent of meeting. You want, how do you come to meet with God? It's through Jesus. And then in Isaiah, just out interestingly, Isaiah in 50, chapter 54 says, get your tent now. Pull the sides out. No, pull them out wider. Extend your boundaries because there's more people got to come into this tent. In fact, you're going to need some more poles and you're going to need some more bits of canvas because there's, I'm bringing in a whole lot of people. Now, why am I saying that? Because when we live with God, when we know Jesus, he actually expands the tent of people and we are friends with more and more people and we can love. And what a blessing it is to love people. There's nothing better. It all comes from knowing him. and That is true life, to be friends with God. That is true joy. Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. But what's he really saying? I want to know him. I just want to know God. And I know one of the great psalms starts off like this, right? He doesn't mess around, this psalm writer. He says, 
I love the Lord. That's what he says. I love the Lord. Yeah. What an awesome thing. He loves God. That's what we're made for. I'm going to pray. Father, as we've heard this today, we, we long for the type of relationships that have been talked about. We long for covenant, loyal, faithful relationships, honest, sacrificial relationships with one another. And Father, truth be known, we long for you. We long to know you. We long to be close to you. We fail all the time, but we long for it, Father. And we thank you for the love that you've shown us, even in our rebellion and our hatred. Thank you for the forgiveness you've shown us. Thank you that Jesus took our place. Thank you so much that simply by trusting in you, we can receive all of the blessings of heaven. All of that assurance. We love you, Lord. And we thank you also for communion that uh, Michael led us in now. But thank you that you remind us again and again of that forgiving love in communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.